Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hayes' Higher Learning. My name is Ashley Hayes. and this episode, we are going to get into the art of connection and emotional safety. I started teaching this as a workshop at Poetry Slams about two years ago, and it is one of my favorite, favorite workshops to teach. So I used to be the queen of shutting down when somebody hurt me. I'd be like, fuck you and the ship you rode in on. I don't want to see you, talk to you, kick it with you, skate with you, nothing. Um, but I had to realize that I wasn't a doing, doing a good job of setting and keeping clear boundaries. So I designed the emotional safety course to give people tools to keep themselves emotionally safe and to work through some old habits. Humans are emotional creatures. It's what set us apart from literally, it's what sets us apart from literally every living thing on the planet, except for dolphins and dogs, I think. And throughout our lives, we experience emotional trauma, often by people who themselves are victims of trauma. We know the saying, hurt people hurt people. And so we're going to talk about traditional tools for safety, such as judgment, call out, and attack, and get familiar with some new tools, such as boundaries, consent, and empathy. Um, so let's go ahead and get into this. I like to start um, with a quote by Theodore Roosevelt. Belt, it's actually been the groundwork for a lot of Brene Brown's work. And the quote is the man in the arena. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows the great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself on a worthy cause, who at the best, in the end, knows the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory or defeat. So to modernize, modernize that a little bit, instead of being in the arena, we are going to be in the paint. And understand that if people are not in the paint with you, sweating, dribbling, running the drills, um they really matter very little bit, especially the people who are in the stands telling you how you can do what you're doing better. And so I'm going to teach you how to be in the paint, remain safe in the paint. Um, and there's so many arenas of life. For me, a lot of it has been poetry and career and family. Um, some of you have kids and jobs, whatever those arenas are. If there are people, there are bound to be um opportunities for unsafety. And so we're going to talk about um, the paint, right? So if poetry is the paint, these are the key factors that kind of contribute to making it unsafe. We have judges, right? People whose job is literally to judge. People love saying only God can judge me. And then we get into competition, right? Where things get different. 
Um, and there are scores, and a lot of times people are putting their personal stories and oftentimes trauma onto the stage. So we are vulnerable, and then you add the element of competition. So why do people do this? Why do we put ourselves through things that have that <laughs> sort of, um, those sort of, I don't want to say threats. What do I want to say? Why do we put ourselves through this? And so my answer to that is I put myself through it often in poetry for catharsis, for community, for recognition, for celebration, and for healing. I think those are human needs that we seek. um, And I was able to find a lot of that in Poetry Slam. But there is a myth of a safe space. I don't think any space with other humans is safe because we can only control our own behavior. And so if you do slam and open mic, or even if you are in schools or at work, um, all of these are vulnerable spaces. And so I want to talk about um, reasonable expectations in vulnerable spaces. So it is reasonable to expect judgment by strangers, especially in Poetry Slam. That's what you sign up for. You sign up for five people to give you a score. Um, And when we go into other spaces, it's reasonable to expect people to do that. It's reasonable to expect competition, especially um, in places where competition is intended to happen, like poetry slams, sports, things like that. It is reasonable to expect an undesired response to your work. Um, I would say that everybody ain't going to like you, so it's reasonable to hear that somebody doesn't like your work. Um, So think about what you can control. And the only thing you can control in a vulnerable environment is what you do. I think there are unreasonable expectations of vulnerable environments, unreasonable expectations in SLAM. Um, I think at no point is it reasonable to expect violence or abuse, be it emotional or physical. I think at no point is it okay to expect validation. Um, I think at no point it's okay to accept to expect invalidation. You are responsible for validating in your self-worth. And at no point is it okay to use violence or abuse in these spaces. I'm going to pause right here and go ahead and do a content warning. This episode might deal with difficult subjects um, such as abuse and trauma. And so if you are sensitive to that or do not feel you can show up to this Um, and be receptive to the work, please, please, by all means, pause, leave it, come back to the work if you need to. Um, Feel free to do that. So let's get into the art of connection. And we'll start by defining connection. I define connection as the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. That's a quote by Brene Brown. And I believe that connection is directly correlated with honesty. Um, So what are some barriers to connection or things that keep us from connecting with other people? The first barrier is fear. The second is shame. And the third I'm going to talk about is judgment. Fear. Fear is a halting emotion. Um, Fear is going to be what stops you in your tracks um, when you see something scary coming. Fear is going to be that 
thing that keeps you from calling somebody and having a difficult conversation. And there are a lot of coping mechanisms that people use for fear, um, including numbing, including armoring up, including being defensive, and especially not telling the whole truth. I think that um, in the instance where people are lying um, or there is untruth or mass deceit, I think it leads us to fear somewhere. Um, I also believe that shame, shame is a thing that keeps us from connecting. It is a perpetuating emotion. Oftentimes, people who are in shame spirals or experiencing shame loops um, will go deeper into addiction or deeper into um, a self-harming behavior. And I think blame and shame are dynamic duos. Where there's shame, there's usually blame. Somebody else is responsible um, and we're going to get some tools to work through that. Judgment. Judgment. I think the easiest way to understand what judgment is, is to understand that judgment has to pick a side. It is binary. It's either right or wrong, good or bad, guilty or innocent. Um, judgment deals in superiority. It deals with I'm better than you. It deals with my hair's cuter. Or why did you wear that with that? Judgment is also easily easily recyclable. I think one of the best examples of recycling judgment is your mama jokes, right? We go into this space and immediately, here we go, your mama this, your mama that. or um, And that's why your jeans look like that way. And that's why your hair nappy. All of those things are judgment. So let's get into how we can overcome shame, fear, and judgment. I think the first thing we can do is find sources of empathy. I've been really blessed. I found my best friends when I was in fifth, seventh grade, and then Hunter came along about my 10th grade year. And I really have had um, the opportunity to meet people who not only understand me and feel me, but who really know how to express empathy and really understand how to be with me um, when I'm experiencing trauma. And so empathy is going to deal with, um, I like the words, to be with, to be with somebody. Um, And maybe not even physically, but to say, I understand what in you could make you feel this way or act this way, right? Versus sympathy, which says, I feel sorry for you. Um, I think we overcome shame, fear, and judgment by becoming shame resilience, which is a concept that Brene, writes, Brene Brown writes about, I think, in Daring Greatly, um, and most of the books, honestly. And shame resilience, um, one good thing that you can practice is good self-talk. What do you tell yourself? Um, what do you tell yourself about yourself? I think that when we have good self-talks and we approach things saying that I'm dope, I'm enough, I'm worthy, um, it really helps to build up a resilience to people whose intention is to make you feel like you're not enough or not worthy. I think healthy narratives are a way that we build up shame resilience. So a narrative is the story you tell yourself about why something happens. Humans have been doing this since the dawn of time. The Greeks have mythology and um, 
there's so many mythologies and understandings as to why things are the way they are. But I want to get us into healthy and empowering narratives. One narrative that is um, pretty easy for me to get into, especially with trauma and relationships, is like, I'm not enough. He did it because I'm not enough. Or that person did that because I'm not worthy or there's something wrong with me. But when you tell yourself that you're dope and that you're worthy and then remind yourself that people do things because of them, not because of you. It really helps to create healthy narratives. And also sometimes not telling a story at all, letting things be what they are. Naming and identity are good ways to overcome shame, fear, and judgment. Um, I am statements we have to be very, very careful with because you hear yourself first, but the universe hears you as well. And so saying, I am not worthy, or I am stupid, or I am, you know, whatever the case may be, um, change the, those to healthy and empowering I am statements. Again, I go back to I am enough because that's usually my biggest trigger point is somebody saying, or or me internalizing somebody's action is saying that I'm not enough or I'm not worthy. Um, healing, of course, is a way we overcome shame, fear, and judgment. Working through our emotions with licensed professionals, really telling the truth and being honest about what happened um, in these situations. We release. Sometimes you just got to let it go. Um, Frozen built an empire off of singing, let it go, let it go. Um, but I don't want to give you toxic release either. We have there's a process um, prior to the release, and so accountability is also a way we overcome shame, fear, and judgment. We hold ourselves accountable to how we say we want to show up to the world, and we hold others accountable. And how can you evaluate the quality of connection? I think we can evaluate whether we're really connected with people when we decide. Can we tell them the whole truth? If there's some part of yourself that you are hiding, that you're lying about, that you are skimming over, I think that um, there's there's a, it's not quality connection. And so I think you can also ask yourself, in these relationships, do I feel like I'm growing? Um, we're going to talk about all about love in the next episode, but one element that I believe shows up in love is um, contribution for another person's growth. Are we getting better? Are we doing what we said we wanted to do here? Um, and do you ultimately feel free in any space that you're in? And I, I want to talk to the creatives a bit. You can go back and check this with your work. Are you able to tell the whole truth in your work? Are you... Are you healing and growing through your work? Do you feel free in your work or do you feel um, chained to it or even oppressed by your work? I think that when we really connect with ourselves and connect with our work, we are honest, we grow, and we really experience freedom. So let's get into the emotional safety part. Um, In psychology, emotional safety refers to an emotional state achieved in relationships wherein each individual is open and vulnerable. And I would like to say that SLAM and the world may not be safe spaces, but there are tools that allow us to remain reasonably safe in vulnerable environments. 
So what are the accessible tools for emotional safety? And when I say accessible, these are the easy things. These are usually the things that have been passed down for generations of people. The first thing is retreat, right? If something threatens our safety, we run. Um, the other is attack. If something threatens our safety, we attack. Um, we saying your mama, we saying you and your baby mama, your daddy and all of them. Um, we're attacking people. Call out, right? Um, Call out on Facebook, on Twitter, call out in public, in public forums. Um, disengagement is an accessible tool for emotional safety. You know, people be in a room or be in the meeting with their arms folded and they're there, but they're not there um, or there and on their phone the whole time. I'm the queen of using my phone to disengage with the space, especially when I feel anxious. Um, anger is a good tool for emotional safety, an accessible tool for emotional safety. And I'll say this about anger. Anger is not inherently good or bad. I will say that anger for me has a job. And so I like to think of it as a contractor that I pay to do one thing and then I'll call you when I need you again, right? So anger for me does the job of getting me to safety. If I feel myself feeling rage or anger, that usually means I haven't done a good job of setting boundaries. And so I use that to get me to a safe space and then ultimately use other emotions to work through. Um... And so now that we've talked about these accessible tools, I want to talk about ideal tools for emotional safety. And so boundaries are my favorite tool in my emotional toolbox. I have to be mindful that my boundaries don't turn into borders. The point is to keep yourself safe and connect with the world, not isolate, not isolate. So it's not, I don't want to kick it with you, talk to you, skate with you. It might be, I need a few minutes, let me holler at you tomorrow. Um, and there are hard boundaries and soft boundaries. Hard boundaries for me are violent communication. You can't scream at me, yell at me, cuss me out. Um, we don't have nothing else to talk about if you approach me with that energy. Um, of course, physical violence has become a boundary for me. Um, let's see. Those are my biggest hard boundaries. I was going to say something else about physical violence. But yeah, whether somebody is being violent to you or the things around you, physical violence um, is a hard boundary to me. You can't punch stuff while I'm in the room and think that I'm going to stay. I'm just not. Um, and with boundaries, there are also soft boundaries, though. So think about soft boundaries as that thing that you say you're not going to do on the first date, but you might be willing to do on the third or fourth. Soft boundaries are things that keep us safe initially at first, but ultimately when we um, push towards vulnerability, those boundaries will shift. And um, I really like Brene Brown's wording and work around boundaries. She says that a boundary is very simply what's okay and what's not okay. Um, and so teaching people how to treat you and teaching people your boundaries is not going to be easy work. It is going to be difficult work that's going to take a lot of text messages and a lot of phone calls. I kid y'all not, about two weeks ago, I probably had a three-hour long conversation with my mother just about boundaries and about redefining our relationship. And that is not our first three-hour conversation. It takes work to communicate and to teach people how to treat you and to understand how people want to be treated. But it is worthy work um, to me. I think another 
ideal tool for emotional safety is delayed forgiveness. So I grew up um, in a church and one of the Bible verses that I heard a lot was the how many times should you forgive? And it's 77 times seven. Um, And so I often felt like as soon as somebody did something to me, I had to say I forgave them, right? And I had to go right back and to engage in with them. But I've come to believe that delayed forgiveness is okay. Um, Catherine Woodward Thomas writes in Calling in the One, forgiveness should not be given until personal boundaries are reestablished and a sense of personal safety restored. And so I think it's okay to say, I need to not forgive you right now until I get myself to safety. Now, delaying forgiveness is not the same as withholding it. Um, There's some people who go to their graves with grudges, and I don't encourage that at all um, because what is withheld, what you would what you withhold from someone else would ultimately be withheld from you. I believe in the laws of the universe. I believe in cause and effect. So I want us to remain open um, and really keep flow in our lives, which we'll talk about the concept of flow, um, by understanding that we can delay forgiveness, but ultimately we do want to give it. Another ideal tool for emotional safety is consent. I love consent. Consent is so sexy to me. Um, I think trigger warnings are a function of consent and safety. I don't think you have to give a trigger warning every time you do a poem, or I think you can give trigger warnings for spaces. Um, If you listen to Intro to Higher Learning, I let you know that this was going to be a scary space um, so that you can ultimately decide how you want to show up. But I will be mindful um, to give content warnings as much as possible through this work. Um, When we talk about consent, we also talk about telling the details of somebody else's story. And things get really interesting in social justice because um, my thoughts used to be, if I am a character in your story, then I have the rights to the whole story. But we have to understand that everybody is going through things. And so some people may not be ready to um, what Brene Brown calls integrate, right? To integrate all parts of the story and tell the whole truth. So I think for me as an artist, as a person, um, that we can tell the stories that are integral to our healing. Um, but I would try to be as responsible and get consent to tell other people's stories as much as possible. Um, I don't know if anybody watches Queen Sugar, but Nova Bordelone um, did a really bad job of getting consent to tell other people's stories. Um, so keep that in mind with consent. Trust is, of course, an ideal tool for emotional safety, but trust is built in small moments. Um, it's built action by action. So trust is not a thing that we're just going to have. It's a thing that we build. Um, I believe call-in is an ideal tool for emotional safety. I went through something um, where an organization I was president of was going through financial trauma. And what happened was a series of call-outs in in public forums, on Facebook. And what was so interesting to me is that I think maybe one person actually DM'd me to ask me a question. And I believe in call-in. I believe if you have access to a person and that access doesn't threaten your safety, DM them, send them a message and say, hey, let me holler at you. Um, I have a close friends list on Instagram. Those are people who can call me and say, hey, sis, what's up? I saw that typo, call me in. Or I I saw that you said this on the internet. Um, And I think it's dope to have people 
that will call you in and sit with you instead of calling you out. Um, Of course, I believe in empathy as a tool for emotional safety. But what I want y'all to get is that the first person we empathize with is ourselves. If we can give ourselves grace and not judge ourselves so hardly for how we respond, I think we can really, really learn to be emotional safety and emotionally safe. Um, affirmations are a great tool. I like to affirm the space, affirm other people, and and most importantly, affirm yourself. If we show up to space as saying, I am dope, I'm courageous, um, I have something to offer this space and this work, um, I think it it aids in emotional safety. And also time and space. Sometimes we have to take time away from people or time away from spaces that have harmed us. Um, and I, I believe in empowered solitude, which is choosing, choosing solitude, choosing to be alone um, for the sake of growth and healing and not just isolating. Um, there is a myth out there that if you're going to be good at art, if you're going to be a good creative, that you have to be tormented that there has to be something in your life going wrong. You know, we praise Adele for every single breakup album. Um, Mary J. Blige, we praise for no more drama. But I am of the belief that we don't have to be tormented to be good at what we do. Um, And oftentimes, especially in slam poetry spaces, we praise the display of unhealed trauma. And um, I think it gets dangerous when we praise that display of unhealed trauma, especially um, for my Brave New Voices coaches and for my Cupsy coaches. When those teens and those youth get on stage and they say those poems that are traumatic for them, I think it is irresponsible to not call for healing and to not make sure that the work that is being presented is presented from a place of power and growth. Um, I think we are far more effective in our work when we are healed, when we are rested, and when we are able to experiment without attachment to the outcome. So if you produce that demo and you're hella attached to being the next Drake, um, I can almost guarantee you, you'll experience emotional unsafety because what will happen is you'll tie your self-worth into that particular outcome. So for my creatives and for anybody, anybody doing difficult work, understand that the outcome is is the outcome. So show up, be brave, experiment, experiment, try something new, but please, as much as you can, do it without being attached to what happens next. Um, You know, a note on mental health, there was often a saying that poetry was cheaper than therapy. And I believe that poetry might be cheaper, but it is not a substitute for professional help. And there is no shame in needing help to heal, y'all. We're humans. If we got a cut that we couldn't heal at home with what's in the medicine cabinet, we'd ideally go see a doctor. We'll talk about social justice later, though, with health care. But you'd go see a doctor. Um, So when we have emotional traumas and things that happen um, to our hearts and our spirits, please, 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 as much as you can, seek professional help or a respected person that you trust, whether that's a parent, a godparent, a counselor, a pastor, if you're still in church, somebody who you trust um, and who you know will be accountable to you in that space. Um, I usually give this 
workshop with a writing prompt. Um, so I'm going to sign it as homework if you want to. And your homework is to write a mantra to tell yourself for days when you feel like giving up or feel less like yourself. Um, what would you want someone to say to you if they were in your corner? For me, if you're in my corner, I need you to constantly <laughs> reinforce that I am enough, that I am worthy, that I'm dope, that I have a right to be here. Um, so write that for yourself. I've actually had some really cool pieces that have come out of this or people who are like, I never write anything, but could write a post-it note on the mirror to tell themselves that they are doing good work, you know? So do that, please. Um, my final thoughts are that I want us to set intentions for our work. When we go into any space, whether it be a creative space, whether it be a difficult um, parent-teacher conference, whether it be a difficult family meeting, set intentions. Understand the work that you want to do going into it. Um, because when our intentions are in love and our intentions for growth, then I think um, we at least see some results there as much as we can. Um, I believe in community. Um, church was the biggest way that people found community um, for me growing up and, of course, school. But after that, then what? If you decide you're not going to go to church or school, um, I decided that Poetry Slam was a community for me. And I've also found Girls Growing, which is a cooperative um, nonprofit run by Pam Iverson. Um, please find communities. Find a salsa dancing community, bowling, um, gamers, whatever your community thing is. Um, I think that that is so crucial to health and well-being. Um if you are going to show up to poetry and creative art and work, it should be fun. If it stops being fun, if it stops being a passion and becomes a job you got to clock into, um, please take a break, rest, replenish yourself, do whatever you need to do um, to keep this as fun as possible. Understand that audience response can be a good gauge for your work. You can put that mixtape out there and, you know, 80 people might say it's dope. That might be a good gauge, but don't let that validate you, right? 80 people might say it's whack. That could be a good gauge. It could be that you need to get back in the paint, get back in the booth, but don't let that invalidate you or keep you out. Um, I believe in taking up space. We have a right to be here, y'all. You have a right to say what you think and, and to express your needs and wants. Um, but be responsible for the way that we take up space. Um, make space for others. As much as we want to speak and be heard, sit and listen. I believe for people who want to show up to Poetry Slam and Spit, you should also be a timekeeper, a scorekeeper, a bout manager, help somebody sell some tickets, um, help coach, do something to help make space for the way that you take it up. And I also want to encourage you to be brave, continue to do scary things. I really like what Elizabeth Gilbert says about fear. And she says that fear can ride in the car, but it cannot drive. So understand that things will get scary, but if we practice emotional safety and use our tools, we can be brave and remain vulnerable. Um, so the sources for this podcast, um, and I'll probably start putting the sources at the beginning. I use The Power of Vulnerability by Brene Brown, which is unfortunately audio only, um, but her work also shows up in Daring Greatly. Um, I use Nonviolent Communication by Marshall Rosenberg, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, and All About Love by Bell Hooks. Thank you so much for tuning into Hayes' Higher Learning, where together we are learning better, doing better, being better. You all have a wonderful week. Your song of the week is Distance by Emily King. <laughs>